In 2023, the total value of the global mergers and acquisitions market dropped by 15% to reach $3.2 trillion. That's the lowest level seen in the past decade. The decline was caused by a perfect storm of high interest rates, increased regulatory scrutiny and macroeconomic uncertainty. But the good news is that dealmakers can breathe a sigh of relief at the start of this year as conditions are aligning for an upswing in M&A activity. With decreasing inflation, and anticipated interest rate reductions, driving an improvement in financial markets. So the big question, where does opportunity lie for deal-making in 2024? I'm Jeremy Maggs. This is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. Last year, Investec acquired a majority interest in Capital Mind, one of continental Europe's top independent M&A and corporate finance advisory firms. The transaction positions the newly renamed Investec Capital Mind to become a leading provider of M&A advice globally, providing clients with access to major developed markets of Europe and North America, as well as important emerging markets in Asia and Africa. And joining me today are three of Capital Mind Investec partners, Jürgen Schwartz, Marlene Vermeer and Kilian de Gurkhoff. We're also delighted to have Charles Barlow with us. Charles is head of Investec's Cross-Border Corporate Finance and International Advisory Group. Welcome to all of you to No Ordinary Wednesday. Thank you for taking time to share your insights on the M&A landscape with our listeners. So, Charles, let me start with you, if I can. What, in your opinion, were the key factors in 2023 that resulted in one of the worst bear markets for M&A in a decade? So the first thing I think we need to bear in mind there is that M&A in 2023 was coming off an exceptionally high base in 2022 and 2021. So the reduction in M&A that you've seen is off a very, very high base already. In fact, off absolutely record levels that we had never seen before in the history of M&A. So there was always a cooling down that should have been expected out of that level of M&A. What we always need to bear in mind as well is that uncertainty is always bad for the M&A market. The minute you you have decision makers in large corporates saying, let's wait and see. There's too much uncertainty in the market. Let's wait and see what happens. That's when you find there's a slowdown in M&A. And there has been a lot of uncertainty in the market over the course of the last year. We've obviously seen much higher inflationary environment coming off the back of Ukraine and supply chain issues post-COVID, etc., which has led to a higher interest rate environment, which has also meant that financing transactions transactions, particularly private equity transactions, which are very much reliant on the debt markets, has been more expensive. So that has also been part of the driver of the slowdown in M&A. What we expect to see is that inflation will start to come down, interest rates will start to come down, and that should drive an improved M&A environment with hopefully greater certainty in the markets too in the coming years. But of course, none of us can predict the future. Of course. Jürgen, I want to pick up on that word uncertainty if we can. There was uncertainty last year and obviously more of it this year. Yet we are seeing a flurry of deals, some analysts predicting an upswing in M&A activity. What fundamentally do you think is changing as we enter 2024? Well, yeah, let's first uh, speak about the upswing. I think think upswing is pretty optimistic. I think we have a slight optimism that the markets are sort of slowly recovering. uh, And while key I, I think key background uh, is probably that the inflation, uh, that the price increases in line with the inflation, they are step by step shifted over through the whole value chain to the end consumer and people get more or less used to it. 
And well, the say the environment is a little more predictable for everybody. And this will, will change the M&A world a little bit. Another, I think another aspect is, uh, say, the sellers and buyers price expectations. They are coming together a little bit. In the start of the crisis, uh, sellers wouldn't adjust uh, their expectations. They thought, okay, uh, we'll, we'll wait a couple of months. Now they see that they have to adjust if they want to sell their businesses. So uh, we see a slight or will increase in closing of deals because price expectations are well growing together. Marlene, if we are seeing more predictability then, as has been predicted by Jürgen, what then, in your opinion, are the sectors that are starting to lead recovery in this M&A space? Good question. I think business services in general is is always a very important sector also in uh, the more difficult and challenging markets. Uh, but uh, definitely in recovery, I think business services, everything around like tech-enabled services. Eh? So if there's like a digital aspect in it, obviously, if you go into subsectors, you really see a lot in like the tech market. So everything around testing, inspection, certification, and also the digital aspect around that. So how can we sort of more make those uh, sectors more scalable? So every sector where there is obviously a very recurring and predictable business model, that's of interest to, to private equity. And I think with business services and especially tech-enabled business services, that can definitely be uh, be an interesting one. And I would expect that also healthcare is sort of picking up because there's a lot of uh, sort of dedicated uh, private equity funds starting with healthcare and, and also the med tech. So also there the tech, uh, tech-enabled uh, is an interesting angle, I would say. So, Killian, we've looked at the healthcare sector, tech business services. Which of those sectors then that Marlene has just listed would be of interest to you and why? The answer of Marlene is quite perfect because uh, she met exactly the, the two sectors that uh, that could uh, meet, I would say, the, the interest I can see on where we have a strong focus, uh, mostly because business services and healthcare have been less impacted by COVID. Therefore, uh, there has been more deals that they were not uh, impacted. And on business services and healthcare, you've got more often like resilient businesses with growth, higher margin. Therefore, the deals less risky, I would say, on the execution side. And lots of private equity have always uh, invested on those sectors and will continue to look uh, strongly uh, at those sectors. Charles, you're no doubt seeing a flow of investment into artificial intelligence. I'm just wondering if this is sustainable and If that's the case, what would some of the key considerations for corporate leaders be looking to make deals in the space, given, again, that it is a highly unpredictable sector at this point? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's no doubt that artificial intelligence is transforming people's lives around the world and transforming business in every conceivable way. And I think that the sustainability question around artificial intelligence is a good one. My own view is that is that not only is it sustainable, but in fact, it's absolutely inevitable that we are going to see continued investment in artificial intelligence. It may go up and down. There may be some volatility and uncertainty around it as the technology develops. But I think it is going to continue to be enormous as it is so transformational to everything we do. In terms of the, the second part of the question there, you know, what are the key considerations for business leaders? I think the the first key consideration is that artificial intelligence will affect every aspect of business. No longer are you going to be able to separate technology, for example, as a sector on its own from healthcare, 
from consumer, from industrials. Technology and artificial intelligence is going to feed into every sector. It's going to permeate everything we do. So that is a key consideration to be very out-of-the-box thinking in terms of response to artificial intelligence. The second one is being able to be adaptable to the speed of change because the speed at which technology is changing is so rapid that business leaders are going to need to be on their toes all the time adapting to it. You know, from month to month, let alone from year to year, technology is changing rapidly and that pace of that change is accelerating. And the third one is around ethics, right? There's a lot of debate around the ethics of artificial intelligence, the level of intrusiveness into our lives. The power of it is so enormous that we are going to have to be very, very careful in our ethical response to artificial intelligence. And that is going to have to be uppermost in the minds of leaders. Jürgen, let me throw it back to you. Artificial intelligence aside, are there other subsectors that are piquing your interest specifically? Yeah, um, good question. Uh, specifically, uh, myself, I'm uh, sort of handling the sectors uh, consumer and food and agro. So uh, uh, these are the, the sectors uh, piquing interest. The, the consumer sector we experience now experienced last year like a say clouded consumer sentiment and we think that against second half of 24 this will uh, say light up uh, a little bit this is the one say the one sector but a lot of interest is still in the food and agro sector we 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 see uh, transactions coming up there uh, larger ones as well so uh, this is a specific sector of interest where we think uh, deal activity will remain and grow So, Marlene, as we come to the end of part one of our conversation, given that there is concordance about the start of a recovery in the M&A market, what then is the potential for mega deals valued at uh, $10 billion or greater this year? Or are you expecting most of the activity to take place in the mid-market? I guess the mega deals is always a bit difficult to predict, right? So it's very volatile. It can uh, The sentiment can change there quite quickly. So I do expect most of the mid-market, I think. But 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 I would definitely go for like higher end mid-market. Eh? So not the real, uh, on, on the lower end, it's still difficult. I think a lot of funds are growing, growing their sizes and uh, therefore also growing in equity tickets. So I, I, I think mid-market is definitely uh, of most interesting. There's a lot of money in the market for this one has a lot of new funds standing up and they still have a lot of money to deploy on on interesting opportunities and the risk there is still like sort of acceptable i guess compared to like really the mega deals so that's what we see uh, at the moment at least All right, we are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I just want to remind you quickly that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Follow Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, I would ask you to take a moment to rate us. So let's continue our conversation now on M&A. And Killian, back to you if I can. Um, Marlene started alluding to risk in the sector uh, just a moment or two ago. In terms of what is on your radar, in terms of risks, crises, problems uh, that could derail the M&A upswing, what are you concerned about? I would say mostly two big topics. First one, geopolitical, as you mentioned, coming either from an increase of the Russian conflict in Europe from China that could impact, I would say, deals on the traction on the if there there is like geopolitical issue like this that going to be a conflict that will increase, clearly we probably see uh, I would say a wait and see 
position from buyers or, or private equity. The U.S. election could impact some of deals or sectors or subsectors, depending of uh, how it goes and if it's uh, quite uh, clean and calm uh, election or if it's going uh, quite rough like the, the last one. I would say the, the last point could be inflation. And inflation, if it's continue to rise across, say, the, the world, will clearly could impact the upswing on the M&A with probably like business model would could change or same uh, like a wait and see a position from some private equity if the inflation is going to rise and not uh, being uh, steady. So, Jürgen, leading on from that then, um, do you see the buyer's market theme that's been prevalent for the past uh, few years persisting this year? And if so, what consideration should buyers and sellers bear in mind with regard to expectation around valuation? Well, this question partly refers to your question too about uh, the changing and improving market in uh, 24. One aspect, I think, is... uh, the uh, large corps, they would, uh, with a mid and long term strategy, for, for them it's uh, clearly a time to buy now. They, they are able to sort of pay a strategic premium. Uh, on the other side, sellers' expectations are a little more moderate than they were until 23. So uh, price expectations uh, from buyers and seller side uh, are closer while generating more deal volume and large groups can use this rather more difficult situation uh, in, in total to grow and support their strategy in uh, acquisitions. On the other hand, there are people that need to sell their succession issues. A lot of thoughts going on will have more targets available uh, than we eventually had in 22 and 23 for those large corps. All right, Charles, I'd like to bring the conversation closer to home if I can. Uh, I think you'll agree with me when I say market themes and dynamics that we observe in advanced economies or more developed economies uh, frequently serve as a leading indicator for the corresponding sectors in South Africa in the medium term, if you get my drift. So very simply then, the deal appetite of South African corporates right now is what? There will certainly be continued deal appetite for South African corporates in terms of local in-country mergers and acquisitions. Chief executives are always looking for ways to grow their businesses inorganically and and reap um, efficiencies. So we continue to see domestic M&A. I think what is interesting in terms of the deal dynamics for South African corporates is cross-border M&A. And in that respect, I think it's important to distinguish between inbound M&A into South Africa and outbound M&A from South Africa. Uh, we take the second one first. Outbound M&A from South Africa, I think there'll be a lot of continued caution around that for the time being. The reason being, first of all, there's been a lot of volatility in the RAND, which is obviously um, significantly weaker today to what it's been in um, years historically. The second thing is the geopolitics, international geopolitics. The uncertainty in international markets will make South African decision makers as cautious around M&A in those markets as the corporates operating in those markets. I expect as things start to settle that that will also start to thaw in the coming year or two, right? Because inevitably, there's always been a a cycle in South African outbound M&A. It ebbs and it flows. I think it's an ebb mode now, and it will start to flow in the next year or two. In terms of inbound M&A into South Africa, that is always difficult to predict. It always falls into two categories, by my experience. First of all, companies looking to invest in South Africa to provide them with a gateway to Africa. 
we will continue to see that in multiple different sectors, but on a case-by-case basis. The second one is where particular South African corporates offer the buyer some technology which the South African corporate has developed in a proprietary manner and owns, and that that technology can be scaled internationally. That then will often make the South African corporate attractive. So I think I think those will be the themes around South African domestic and international M&A. And Marlene, in terms of those themes or those deal dynamics that uh, Charles has just referred to, are there any specific or different themes that you see playing out in Europe and perhaps how they would differ from what is happening in the United States? Well, I, I lived and worked in the US for a couple of years as well. So most of my career, I, uh, I've been in, in Europe, but a few years in the US. And at that time, I, I spoke to several uh, US private equities. And if you speak to them, they're all very interested in, in Europe. Uh, but ultimately, they also find it very difficult to do, ultimately do an acquisitions there, right? So especially for platform acquisitions, you don't see that a lot. Eh? For add-ons, uh, you do see more. But I think they all really want to go more across border like Europe uh, does as well. Huh? So if you, if you look at our business, we have a lot of cross-border uh, deals uh, within uh, within Europe. And I think I'm from the Benelux office. Obviously, Amsterdam is also sort of seen as a hub into continental Europe, at least. Huh? So obviously, UK is a sort of first next step for, for US. But if they want to go in continental Europe, uh, then Amsterdam uh, is, is very important. So we have a lot of US private equities also coming over and really want to do uh, deals. So I think that's the most important trend that I will see, that U.S. is more coming towards cross-border, where Europe is sort of already there. So to all of you, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. I want to end this edition of No Ordinary Wednesday with a very quick closing observation or statement, call it what you want, in terms of your expectations for M&A in 2024. Charles, let's go back to you. I would sum it up in a nutshell as cautiously optimistic is the words I would use. Not to an extreme in either of those. So not too cautious, not too optimistic. Uh, Jürgen, what about you? Same sentiments? Well, uh, seeing a slight recovery in a still uh, challenging environment and uh, say from our perspective uh, to not get stuck in the say back mirror, but preparing and cultivating deals for 25. Marlene? I guess maybe a little bit more optimistic. If I look at our pipeline, we have very good targets in the pipeline. Uh, and I always think that you will manage to, to get deal activity for good targets. And Killian, I'll give the very last word to you. I would say if we go beyond transaction uh, and thinking out, out of the ordinary the transaction, we can achieve uh, great deals in 2024. Jürgen Schwartz, Marlene Vermeer, Kilian de Gurkhoff and Charles Barlow, thank you all for sharing your valuable insights and we look forward to hosting you again on No Ordinary Wednesday in the future. To our listeners, if you're interested in learning more about what Capital Mind Investec can offer, please visit capitalmind.com. A new episode of the podcast drops every fortnight. To ensure that you don't miss a show, follow Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. From the entire team, goodbye and thank you for listening. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.